0: This is a very strange and frustrating story. To have your family member stolen and murdered, then missing.
1: I'm Connie Walker, and
0: this is Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo. It's such a mystery, such an impossible task. Please, help us find her. Finding Cleo. If you'd like to hear more, you can find the full season wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is a CBC Podcast. When Monica Itt was a little girl, she learned to sing a special song.
3: Because it was our way of uh,
2: acknowledging the sun, welcoming it, and just be happy. She would sing that song each year during Sukunawak, or Return of the Sun, celebrations. In Inuktitut, it means, it is a joyous thing now that we're going to live. After many weeks of total darkness in the far north, singing is one of the ways Inuit acknowledge the change of season. When the sun first appears over the horizon, children greet it with a crooked smile. And then... Uh, We were asked to
3: go from one to another to uh, blow out the flames of the and the mother would take out the old wick, pour out the old oil, put in a new oil and a new wick, which indicates the, the return of the sun and to celebrate the new year.
2: Sukinawak is the Inuit word for return of the sun. And it's cause for great celebration where Monica grew up, where men hunted by starlight and silhouette during the dark winter months, and children played games by the light of the kulik, or oil lamp. It's one of the ways indigenous people celebrate the light in the darkness. Hello and welcome. This is Unreserved. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. The winter solstice will soon be upon us. That means shorter days and longer nights. Many Indigenous nations take this time to slow down and acknowledge a new season. For Jolie Big Eagle Kukweidue, that
0: means creating space for our women. To create a sacred circle and to um, lift their ospagan or their chanupas or are we in english their pipe to pray for these difficult
2: times we're in but for others like sarah sunshine manning it means decolonizing the calendar starting with christmas
1: we just thought let's get out of town we have the day off everybody has the week off like let's go on a family trip and uh the next year we're like let's just keep doing this and um it felt nice and we realized that we didn't miss it
2: and for Monica it Usojawat, the return of daylight in the north is a time for celebration and an opportunity to pass on cultural knowledge and traditions, like the blowing out of the kulik.
3: Most of us still use the
2: kulik that's been passed on from generation to generation. Today, from the solstice to Sukunawak, we share stories that lead us to light out of the dark days of winter. There's the twinkling lights, the packed party schedules, and the hustle and bustle of buying presents at the mall. It's a busy time of year for many, but not for Sarah Sunshine Manning. She and her family take this time to rest. Sarah is a Shoshone Paiute writer and director of communications for Indian Collective, an indigenous led advocacy organization. She's on a mission to get us to rethink the way we spend our holidays, both in time and money. Sarah,
1: welcome to Unreserved. Thanks so much, Rosanna. I'm really happy to be here.
2: So, first of all, let's start with uh, how you used to spend this time. What kind of traditional winter practices did you grow up with?
1: Yeah, well, much like many other Indigenous people across Turtle Island, I grew up in this colonial context where our parents and, and grandparents grew up celebrating Christmas. And, uh, you know, parents went to boarding school or what in, I know, in Canada. Uh, you all refer to as residential schools, where Christmas was the time they got to see their families. Uh, They associated it with love and gift giving. And in many ways, I think those practices were relatable to our people because our people did a lot of giving through giveaways, potlatches. And so being able to give felt like something we could connect to. And so for Christmas um, on my reservation, I grew up on the Duck Valley Indian Reservation, it was absolutely that. It was a time for us to express love and care. Um, we had a Christmas tree up and believed in Santa Claus. It was a time of magic. It was, it was exciting as a little kid to, to write those letters to Santa. So that, that was generally my experience. In addition to that, that was the time when schools let you out for two weeks. Mm. You know, our parents had work off. And so that that protected time off was really the opportunity to connect. And so I grew up very much in like a colonial with that colonial experience of celebrating Christmas. Um, But it wasn't until I was a lot older until I began to really start to intentionally deconstruct um, what I understood to be this very colonial um, experience that I had and and sought out something different.
2: Mm. And when did the Christmas season begin to trouble you?
1: You know, honestly, I think it came gradually recognizing as I became an adult, like the stress that it put on my own mother to have to struggle each year and and feeling that obligation of buying gifts. And so Mm -hmm. it kind of happened gradually there. But it was, I think the first time that I really began to unpack the holiday came from learning of the origins of the day, um, even from a a Christian religious standpoint, understanding that the origins of the holiday really kind of co-opted these land based teachings around the solstice where, um, you know, pagans in Europe celebrated that time and they needed to convert those pagans to Christianity. And so that, that Christian version of, of Christmas, or supposedly the birth of Christ, was really aligned with the solstice in order to gain converts. And so that just felt really um, disturbing and troubling to me and not surprising. Mm. And so it started like having this global understanding of how the, the religion um, really exploited uh, people of the land in order to build power, um, in order to build their empire. And I immediately related to that as an indigenous person who you know, has experienced how Christianity has harmed our own people. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning. And then from there, I think becoming an adult, recognizing friends and relatives, my own son who comes from another tribal nation who have very specific ceremonies and teachings around winter. Like I knew that there was something more for us too.
2: Hmm. And was there a moment for you when you said, okay, well, enough, enough, enough is enough. I'm not celebrating Christmas anymore and my family won't celebrate Christmas anymore.
1: Yeah. So actually the first time that we didn't put up a Christmas tree was three years ago. Um, well, actually two years ago, this would be our third Christmas, not putting up a tree at all. And we kind of went back and forth in our household cause we have kids and our kids grew up seeing the tree and feeling that excitement. Um, and, uh, Two years ago, when we decided not to put a tree up, we decided to even like get out of town and not even do the whole like wake up on Christmas morning and fill that expectation of opening presents. And we just thought, let's get out of town. We have the day off. Everybody has the week off. Like, let's go on a family trip. And uh, the next year, we're like, let's just keep doing this. And um, it felt nice. And we realized that we didn't miss it. And it opened up space for conversation. And of course, that aligned with all these other learnings and awarenesses about, you know, the real teachings and ceremonies that our people have in relation to summer solstice, winter solstice, equinox. And uh, in our household, we do a lot of traditional things, traditional ceremonies. And I think much like many other Native people and our experiences with with decolonization, it's an unlearning that is gradual. It's like peeling back these layers Mm -hmm. of an onion where we realize how much colonization has infiltrated our lives to the point of stressing us out, disconnecting us from really beautiful original teachings, disconnecting us from the land in in such a powerful time with the winter solstice.
2: Mm, That sounds so beautiful. So how do you mark this time of year with your family now?
1: Yeah, well, for sure, we are a, a household and family who goes to regular sweat lodge ceremonies um, through the year. This past year, my partner and, and our family, they finished, the, they completed the build of a traditional um, Hidatsa Earth Lodge and put a, a sweat lodge inside. And so we're continuing to sweat inside Um, In the cold months, um, we like to also have traditional foods made from things that we've harvested in the year. Um, A favorite of ours that we made um, last year was like a a soup made of um, wild turnips, hidatsa corn and and buffalo, and really kind of take a moment to enjoy the things that we've harvested in the year. And I think because we have that time off with family, too, there's definitely a lot of a lot of eating. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I want to go to your house. (laughs) (laughs) Are there specific um, Indigenous, you know, ceremonies in terms of, you know, the solstice that you that you uh, recognize and practice?
1: So I have a... I have an inter-tribal background. I am. I grew up on the Shoshone Paiute Reservation and on the Duck Valley Indian Reservation in Idaho and Nevada, and um, also Chippewa and Cree from Rocky Boy, Montana. And my son is Navajo, Diné. So my son, you know, he comes from a people that have very specific ceremonies and stories that can only be told and conducted during this time. And um, the the community that I grew up in, we don't have anything like that. And so. I I acknowledge and recognize that across Indigenous lands, there are some nations who have teachings and ceremonies that are very specific to the solstice, the shortest day of the year. They might have really elaborate um, ceremonies, but not all of our people do necessarily for the solstice. We might not even know what our original teachings were because of colonization Mm -hmm. in relation to the winter solstice, but I know for sure that my people... During the summer solstice, the longest days of the year, we have Sundance, and um, that's a powerful time for my partner's family. Their Sundance is aligned with the full moon in the summer, the full moon after the winter solstice. And so, paying attention to the the sky world, you know, the sun, the moon has always guided our ceremonies. Eclipse time, um, northern lights, star knowledge—like all of those—mean something to our people. And I guess I'm a part of I'm on this journey to to learn more. And I continue to learn more, I think, because of the fact that we did make that departure from Christmas in our home.
2: Mm. In your work with the uh, Indian Collective, you encourage people to practice revolutionary and decolonial acts. How does Marking the Solstice fit into that?
1: Thanks for asking that question. So first about the organization I work for, Indian Collective, When a, we have a, a tagline that is Defend, Develop, Decolonize, Defend Indigenous Lands and Rights, um, Develop Decolonial and Sustainable Solutions and Decolonize Our Homes, Our Thinking, The Land. And then the organization, we don't We acknowledge colonial holidays, we acknowledge the solstice um, every year, we give our staff a week off for the solstice and for the summer solstice we have a week off because that's that's a powerful time that we encourage our staff to be on the land, also for the equinox um, spring and fall we've we've really made a, a choice to be intentional about decolonizing our calendar and indigenizing our calendar as an organization that's trying to do work for our communities mm. and our people. For for Christmas and the solstice in particular, I think being really aware of the systems that have harmed indigenous peoples on Turtle Island, uh we we know that those systems also harm the earth and indigenous people worldwide. And And those systems really kind of stem from um, colonization of our lands by way of the church, the doctrine of discovery um, that basically said you can colonize any lands that are inhabited by non-Christian pagan people. And so they felt entitled to our land and they brought with them their religion. They brought with them their economic systems that were very extractive. Christianity, colonialism, capitalism, all all came to our lands and and have just wreaked havoc on our people and still are. Um, In our home, we talk a lot about like our upbringings, too. And and my partner, we were kind of having a discussion about how like I grew up and my parents. we, We believed in Santa because my parents were able to produce gifts but his family he was like i didn't they we didn't talk about santa cuz my we, we didn't we never believed in it because my parents could never afford anything. We couldn't celebrate christmas. We had no money. You know, it made us feel bad. So to to look at christmas in particular and and the origins of it by not indulging that narrative, we are in many ways bringing justice to the in, original indigenous peoples who had their their Solstice time, even in Europe, exploited. We are pushing back against one of the most harmful institutions in the world with Christianity who continues to colonize lands. We're also pushing back on, on capitalism that makes so many of our people feel inadequate if they're not able to purchase things. And so um, it, it's also a part of this bigger picture and this process of, of unlearning, of, of courageously saying, like, I'm going to do something different.
2: Mm. And since you know implementing this in, in your life and in, in, in your family's life and, and being part of an organization that also honors that, uh, that you know, land-based um, calendar, um, what have you heard from people who have you know taken your lead to give up Christmas for in favor of solstice ceremony?
1: The responses that we've gotten in terms of like the, the content that we create for our work um, has been really positive. In fact, we have a blog on our website, and we produce stories by and for Indigenous people. In the past five and a half years or so, um, that story on um, acknowledging the winter solstice as a decolonial act is, is actually our second most popular piece. Even though it was published in 2019, Like we don't necessarily repost it, but it continues to be circulated. And and for us, like just kind of looking at the data, the analytics, it shows that like this is resonating with people. It, it, there's more meaning there. There's more meaning when you talk about the ways that you could use these moments to regenerate your spirit, to reconnect with the land, to connect more deeply with your family and traditions. Like that's going to feel more meaningful to anybody than I think feeling the pressure to buy, feeling the pressure to celebrate something that always kind of left us feeling either stressed or or inadequate. Like it doesn't cost anything to connect to the land. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: We all want to slow down. And so, you know, I've had discussions with my, my own family too. I have a lot of siblings and I think some, some of them like might have children who are smaller, and it's maybe harder for them to explain to their kid why they might have celebrated and waited for Santa the last few years, and now all of a sudden, they're not. But I know that a lot of people are um, feeling excited about the possibilities and are in the process of kind of phasing out these colonial holidays themselves, too.
2: Mm. And how has it changed you uh, and your family since you have started to, to focus, uh, you know, on solstice and ceremony and land and, and each other?
1: I think it's helped me personally, like I feel more courageous to to do this even, even more. Um, And that's been a a journey in and of itself beyond, of course, like Christmas, there are many holidays where we've just been like, you know what, we're gonna opt out. Mm -hmm. This feels icky, like I know the origins. And so many holidays, we're we're opting out of and instead we're investing time and resources and our energy And traditions, time, energy and resources and like being on the land, harvesting more medicines, having that curiosity, being in the space of that question constantly of like, what would it look like if I, instead of celebrating this holiday or going to this event, like I I use that time to, you know, ask my mother more about the language or to learn our stories, learn our traditions so it's like that contrast, I think, is is an invitation um, by by moving away from those things. It's that invitation to access something more meaningful and and deep. And so I think it's it's still this journey for me. It wasn't like this instant overnight um, shift, but it's been an exciting process so far and um Um, Here's like one small example of how this is really not just about the solstice for us, but this process of of unlearning and and consciously, I guess, like being aware of of colonial influence in our lives. Um, I grew up, you know, uh, with a grandmother who went to boarding school. We grew up in a home where we heard the Lord's prayer at at family gatherings. Um, We grew up saying bless you when somebody sneezes you know, there was a day where I would like my son was sneezing and I said, bless you. And he kind of stopped me. He's like, why do we even say that? Why do we say bless you? And so we started to talk about it and we're like, yeah, we should stop. We should stop saying bless you. That definitely comes from like Christian origins when you sneeze. And our people have a different saying when you sneeze, you say, awisha, it means like who's thinking about you. And so we're like, let's do that instead. <laughs> so I think it 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 has encouraged us to just be very conscientious and to redirect ourselves towards our original teachings. Um, And that's been really, really a blessing for our family.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much for for sharing your your wisdom and, and your knowledge today.
1: Thank you so much, Rosanna. I appreciated the conversation a lot.
2: Sarah Sunshine Manning is the Indian Collective Director of Communications. She is a citizen of the Shoshone Paiute Tribes of the Duck Valley Indian Reservation in Idaho and Nevada, and Chippewa Cree of Rocky Boy, Montana. This is Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, Sirius XM, U.S. Public Radio, and Native Voice 1. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. Today, Indigenous people who share the light in the darkness.
0: This is a very strange and frustrating story. To have your family member stolen and murdered, then missing? I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo.
3: It's such a mystery, such an impossible task.
0: Please, help us find her. Finding Cleo. If you'd like to hear more, you can find the full season wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The solstice is a special time of year for many. It's a time to slow down, pause, reflect, and gather. For Jolie Big Eagle Kikwaitwe, it's a time to bring community together. Jolie is a Nakota Cree artist and designer from White Bear First Nation. And for several years, she's organized winter solstice ceremonies for Regina's Indigenous community. Jolie, welcome to Unreserved.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you.
2: Um, now imagine it's December twenty first, and the winter solstice
0: ceremony is underway. Paint us a picture of what's happening. So we've been having the the ceremony since December twenty eighteen, and um, it was a vision that um, I'm not sure exactly where it came from. If it was a daydream or a or a, a seed that somebody planted in my ear, you know, um, if it came in the wind from our ancestors. And so it was um, to bring together 13 women, 13 matriarchs, 13 feminine energies to create a sacred circle and to um, lift their ospagan or their chanupas or or in English their pipe to, to pray for our babies, to pray for our community, to pray for um, healing, to pray for these difficult times are in and so we we gather in the circle and um when we were indoors in the building we would borrow buffalo robes or some of the the um, the women had their own buffalo robes just a few or a bear robe and so that we would place and hope to at least have 13 of them in this circle and then we would begin there's no um one lead it's just a, um, a mutual consensus are we ready to to begin and and uh, we may or may not have someone sing the pipe filling song and uh, and then we we begin we have ceremony together and we invite the community to come in um, young old uh, male female all all genders are welcome indigenous non-indigenous um it's about creating a safe space for women to to have ceremony.
2: And in this beautiful circle of aunties and sisters and and, um, matriarchs, um, what kinds of things do you do ceremony for or pray for in a winter solstice?
0: So, from my understanding, the solstice is the shortest day and the longest night, and it's the beginning of a new cycle. It's which you could say it's the beginning of a new year for us. And with everything that's happening in our community on truth and reconciliation, there's been a lot of people who don't want to celebrate Christmas as a, a Christian holiday. Although, you know, I like to say my mother loves Christmas. I love Christmas. I love what it that the not the commercialism of it, but the intent of of coming together as family, as friends, just being with our children, you know, uh, friends, right, and just celebrating, just having a moment to celebrate. And so that's what the solstice has turned into for me let's gather let's let's tell these stories let's let's listen to some teachings old teachings new teachings well not new but like um refreshing teachings let's say that because everybody has their ancestors with them and and they all get teachings in different ways and so let's gather and let's talk about these what are our women ceremonies this is the place where we can begin we, we know there's something happening during this, these special times of the years. So let's use our spirit and our energy to activate our sacred objects, to come together and activate the space by telling our stories, by sharing ser- ceremonies that we might know of, and then maybe we can have them um, during the other times of the years. So it, it's a starting point. What motivated you to want to create a, a
2: women centered ceremony in twenty eighteen?
0: A big part of, of why I created or, or why this 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 vision came, I think, is is because I, I felt that there were some spaces that weren't safe for women. You know, I, I was at a um a community event where somebody said something that um wasn't a very good thing to say to women, especially when we're we're doing our best to address missing murder indigenous women. We're all in a state of um trying to figure out how to address that, right? And this individual came across as trying to blame the women, that if we we stayed home and we we, you know, just stayed within our houses, we wouldn't go missing or murdered. And um I thought that's that's a very patriarchal Point of view, and that is in a safe space for our women, and and so it's not about secluding us from the men because you know we want to have solstice where the men are included, you know, but the the men can come and be helpers. They can come and you know um, look after the children. They they can come and 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 be oscapios. They could come serve the food. They could come and um, help set up, take down. They could. There's so much that can be done that isn't um, only to lead ceremony. It's about creating a safe space for the women, being that support around the women. Initially, it came from from that, hearing somebody who wasn't saying these words that made me feel safe. And I think others heard them as well. Mm. And what was the reaction
2: when you went into the community and said you wanted to to create this safe space for women? You know, I
0: think a lot of people still they're unsure of what it is because when i when we share that it's 13 women that 13 is for whatever reason it's misunderstood you know like there's no number 413 in a in a um hotel i always check <laughs> <laughs> there's still no number 413 in in most hotels i think 13 is a very lucky number and cuz if you add 3 plus 1 it's 4 and 4 is a very sacred number not to say I'm into numerology, but you know what? I understand that there's things that are happening beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, I think people are a little cautious. Why are the women gathering? There's some resistance when our women gather because, um, because it doesn't happen often in ceremony, especially in a bit larger group like this. And, and we're only now realizing that, um, you know that we have a responsibility i feel it's a responsibility to carry on some of these teachings that were that were shared with us 19 generations ago why do you feel like it's your responsibility to to carry that on or or reclaim and carry that on there's a lot of people struggling right we're struggling to find our identity we're, we're struggling to define our place our our purpose i know that on my journey i've struggled Right. I I think I have a good life. I think I've had some really good role models. Right. I think I've had I've had really good experiences, but I've still struggled with identity. Who am I? Am I a spiritual person, you know, or or am I um, an urban indigenous woman? Right. And so I, I feel like a big part of my responsibility is I you know i would love to go out on the land and have a house there and have my community you know there and 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 everything my children educated you know the way i want them to be educated but that's not happening right now and so i'm building you know my my world around where i live which is in regina which is an ur- urban place and so it's about bringing ceremony here this is my community and i'm building my community and I've asked, does the community think this is what we should do? And and the matriarchs and the women have said, yes, yes, do it. <laughs> so I, I feel like I have that responsibility because I have the capacity and the wherewithal to, to be able to organize this. And so I, I offer it. It's my offering.
2: Now you said that you, you feel like this is your responsibility to bring ceremony back to your community in Regina, which is where you currently live. Um, but you're also bringing the ceremony inside this year. In previous years, it was held outside in front of the Saskatchewan Legislature Building. Why did you choose that
0: location for such a sacred event? We've had a couple of, of individuals and, and groups who have activated that space as a sacred space for us to gather, the justice for stolen children—they were there for for months, right? Setting up teepees and a teepee camp to to ask for the government to act on the issue of our children being taken by you know social services and those other departments, right? And then that was a call to action. And then Tristan de Roche, you know, in 2020, he camped there for 44 days fasting for you know not just suicide awareness but also asking the community we need help our children are 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 struggling and, and so it's been these calls to action and when COVID came and we couldn't gather I had a vision to set up 13 teepees so that we could have smaller ceremonies that were safe for our matriarchs to gather. And um and I told my my husband, because he's always the first one I pitch my ideas to or my visions, my dreams and, uh, and then it was like, oh, that's really going to be hard. <laughs> it's cold here. <laughs> it's December 21st, it could be minus 30. And last year was minus 50. But, you know, the, the men were like, you know what? We'll, we'll support you. So, so we had the men from our community. They set up the teepees and they did it, the work for us. We got teepees from different organizations. And, and it was a place to gather because that's a sacred space.
2: Uh, you mentioned that, that that park in front of the legislature is considered um, a sacred site. Why is that a park considered sacred?
0: Well, you know, from, from the two camps that were there and then when when we've been there. And I guess I don't want to say how exactly we activated it, but um, using cultural protocol and, and the advice of some of our matriarchs. I say matriarchs versus elders, katayak, using the advice of katayak. You know, we we created this um, this energy force there.
2: Mm. You use that word a lot: um, activating a, a space, activating blood memory. Several times you've you've used this word activating. What does that? What do you mean by that? Um, you know, I think
0: I like to say that I'm a big believer in energy. Uh, my background is in science and engineering. And, you know, and there's this Western thought around how, you know, matter is energy and and there are things in the air that we can't see, but we can examine them under a microscope. And there's things that we definitely don't understand, like our body is mostly made out of water, right? And we don't, doesn't feel like I'm water. Part of the other work I do is about bringing back the buffalo, and I think about some of the people who say we're part of this buffalo nation, Tatanka Oyate, and and you know, and I'm like, well, how, how, what is that? Where is that? And and sometimes you know, like there's this tapping technique that I've heard of where you could tap, tap your face, tap your body, and it helps you to release energy and de-stress. Well, what if we instead of tapping, we maybe in my toe. In, in my my pinky maybe that's where the buffalo memory is but i can't necessarily tap my pinky all the time but so i have to activate it by eating buffalo i have to activate it by telling buffalo stories i have to activate it by participating in buffalo ceremonies and then eventually that that blood memory will come up through my baby toe to my foot to to my legs to my my stomach to my heart to my mind and I'll understand more about what it means to be part of this Buffalo Nation to help me to, to live, right, in in a good way. And I think that's a big part of what's missing in our communities that was stripped away from us because of all the traumas that we've been through. Mm. You know, it's, for me, it's about this activation. And I don't know how some people are activated differently through art, through song, through through prayer, through ceremony, through food, through memories. And I mean, they go to a place that reminds them of something, then they're triggered. But instead of being triggered negatively, let's find ways to trigger positively. Mm. But but there's still there's still some missing gaps. This ceremony that we're having during the winter, I, there's no book and there's nobody saying this is the way we did it when I was young. No, we didn't. Don't have that. So every year we're learning something new. I'm not the know-it-all. I wish I was. I like to think I am, but I'm not. And so every year, you know, we're learning and, and we're creating and we're accessing this blood memory mm. and re-remembering our place in our communities. Activating blood memory. I like
2: that. Let's go with it. Let's write a book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. Definitely. What is your hope or wish for your community,
0: this this solstice? I feel there's a lot of divide and conquering going on, if I could use that term. There is some division within our community. You know, I think one of the biggest issues that we have in an in Indian country or indigenous country is conflict resolution. I think residential school, one of the fallouts or consequences of residential school is is we just turn our back on issues and we're like is it gone yet? Is it gone yet? <laughs> you know what we and instead sort of dealing with this conflict in a healthy way and and the conflict doesn't go away so no matter what's happening we still need to gather we still need to pray because because our young people are still um suffering the hands of suicide addiction and and now it's not just our young people it, it's some of our our middle-aged people right so so we need to put aside those conflicts and still come together to pray. I really believe in that, and and so even for myself, practicing that when I have conflict with somebody, I I need to set that aside because the ultimately why we're doing this is for our babies, and and our babies I always say are, are zero to ninety nine, you know, and and sometimes uh, people who are really struggling they they just need to be supported, caressed, and then sometimes I'm in that position. I need to be supported and caressed. And then let's feed each other. Let's have some buffalo soup, right? So that that's, are you hangry? <laughs> that's one of our issues <laughs> in our hangry? community too. <laughs> let's just, you know, feed ourselves as traditional foods, wild rice, right? I'm really cognizant of the feast food that we have during this ceremony. We have buffalo. We have wild rice. We have, you know, our corn, our our salmon, our berries, our wahpe, our our um traditional teas, if we can access those, right? All of these things. I don't know how they're activating and helping people. We won't know. Maybe some people realize right away, but some people take one year, five years, ten years, twenty years, right? But we know the children are watching and we want them to in 20 years, they're gonna to to do this and take over and and figure out how they fit in, but they'll have seen this, and they'll have an understanding of of this ceremony that happened.
2: Jolie, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today.
0: Oh well, thank you for
2: having me. I'm really happy to be here. Jolie Big Eagle Kukwetaway is an artist from White Bear First Nation in Saskatchewan. This is Unreserved on CBC Radio 1, Sirius XM, U.S. Public Radio, and Native Voice 1. I'm Rosanna Deerchild. Today, whether it's longer days that come with the solstice in the south or a break from the 24-hour darkness marked by Sukuna'wak in the north, indigenous people from across Turtle Island find ways to bring the light. Each year around the middle of November, The sun sets over the small community of Iglulik in Nunavut, and it doesn't return for almost two months. For people like Monica Itusojawat, this total darkness is a way of life. But when the sun returns, it's a cause for celebration. Monica is an educator, a cultural advisor, and the senior Inuktitut editor at Aharvok Press. Monica, welcome to Unreserved. Thank you. Uh, So tell me, what does Sukkinaushaq, or the return of the sun, mean to you?
3: When I was a little girl, uh, before residential school days, we were asked to look at the sun when it comes up with one eye closed and smile at it to welcome it. And then uh, we were asked to go from one thalmuk another to uh, blow out the flames of the and the mother would take out the old wick, pour out the old oil, put in a new oil and a new wick, which indicates the the return of the sun and to celebrate the new year. Mm. So what we used to do was, uh, the men had built a, a khatliq, which is a big igloo. And they would drum dance, and we would play inuit games, to do games, and, you know, just celebrate
2: the return of the sun. Sounds like a good party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and during the dark months what was, what was that like for you?
3: Well, I didn't used to go out a lot. I just stayed in and played some games like my father made some uh, wooden dolls for me and my cousin. My mother would uh, cut out patterns for Amauti, uh, which is a uh, baby carrier and carle the um pants and we would sew the clothing for our adults and we would play games different games like find the thimble or a which is a um, bone and stick game and like we'd play all kinds of games to pass the time during the
2: day Hmm. And what kinds of um, skills did that, that those games that you listed teach you?
3: The uh, find the thimble, you know, we weren't allowed to uh, hide the thimble behind anything or under anything. It had to be visible because it taught us how to see, for instance, a rabbit on white snow, of course, or a ptarmigan on the snow. You know, that kind of thing. And um, also, this game we used to play, um, we would be blindfolded. Each uh, child would be blindfolded and try to touch one child. Because we were taught how to uh, listen, to see, to smell, use our senses to be aware of our surroundings. You know, so all those games taught us those skills.
2: And also they were fun. Yes.
3: (laughs) Yeah, children learn
2: by having fun, by playing games, yeah. That's the best way to teach, you think? Yes. What kinds of skills did people in your community um, rely on to navigate through those dark times, through the the dark months?
3: Well, the the men and the brothers still go out hunting, like still hunting, fishing. They use the, the stars to navigate when there's no moon, and sometimes um, they would use the formation of the snow, like the, the tongue shape. You know that those are formed by the um, the, the east wind and you would know which direction they are formed. So if there was a snowstorm or something, you you would have to feel the ground to see which direction you're going. They would have to be able to um, predict the weather just by looking at the clouds or uh, the wind. And um, they would have to know the ice to be able to differentiate thick, thick ice or new, new formed ice at the flow edge, you know everything was uh, done scientifically. I guess.
2: Mm, yeah.
3: So they have to, yeah, to know everything.
2: Wow, that's amazing! I can't and, imagine. I can't yeah. even find my glasses when when it's dark in my room. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, boys had to be able to
3: build an igloo before they were allowed to get married. Because, you know, they would have to be able to survive going out, hunting on the land. And then suddenly there's a blizzard. They would have to build themselves a shelter for the night. Mm -hmm. Or else they'll freeze
2: to death. Yeah. 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 Can't mess around on the in the Arctic, right? No. Nope. No. And so when those months of darkness finally lifted and the and uh, the sun returned for Sukinawak, um you mentioned earlier that you had to greet the sun with one eye closed and a smile. How come you how come you had to do that?
3: Because it was our way of uh acknowledging the sun, welcoming it. Uh well, there's this song. That is some when someone is drum dancing mm-hmm. and it it means um uh, I'm so happy it is a joyous thing now that we're going to live because during the dark days, it was I guess hard for the men to navigate in the dark, but they had to go hunting every day except on blizzard days. Mm-hmm. And so when the sun returns, it's not going to be as hard as it was. Now it's going to be uh, longer daylight. There's going to be better hunting, Mm -hmm. more food, uh, and also skins to make clothing and so on.
2: Yeah. You also mentioned that the kulik. Can you explain what the significance of the kulik is? A kunduk is a
3: stone oil lamp um, that you use, for instance, when my father built any glue and you and it's, you know, deep freezing there and it's dark. And so my mother likes the kunduk and it gives a hint and light. And she will put a rack on top of the kunduk where you... Put your frozen mix or tummy or your boots or anything on the rack. And then she would uh, hang a chain and a hook at the end. And she would put the kettle or a pot over the toilet to melt the ice for water,
2: to make tea, to cook, and so on. So... Mm. So it was very important in the household, eh?
3: Yeah, warm up the igloo.
2: And so then why would the children be sent out to go and, you know, blow the the kulik out and and then the wick would be replaced? What was the significance of that?
3: Like the old year is gone and now the new year is coming up. So it's to blow out the old year so that the mother could put in the new... We and a new oil for the new year. Yeah.
2: That's lovely. I love that. And now, as a teacher and, and and an editor, you share stories like these in your language. What keeps you so passionate about preserving and protecting Nututut? Well,
3: I went to a residential I went to three residential schools, and I almost lost my language. And uh, it was very embarrassing to not know my language that well like I used to so when I grew up I made sure that the language is taught and passed on and that it doesn't die so that's why I'm so passionate about teaching Inuktitut like I've always taught Inuktitut from kindergarten to grade 12 and I taught linguistics at the teacher education program and interpreter translator program. And I was a national Inuit language uh, coordinator at Inuit Tepere Kanatami mm. uh, to standardize the writing system in the um, Northwest Territories, New Neve- Northern Quebec, and Labrador. So, And even now, I'm the senior Inuit Institute editor of uh, Inhabit. Education, where we publish Inuktitut books for Nunavut schools. Well,
2: wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that work you do. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for sharing today with us. No, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Monica Itu is an educator, a cultural advisor, and the senior Inuktitut editor at Arvok Press. That's all our time on Radio Indigenous. This episode was produced by Kim Kasher, Laura Bone-Steubing, and Rhiannon Johnson. You can always find more on our website at cbc.ca slash unreserved, or download our podcast on the CBC Listen app or your favourite pod places. And however you celebrate this time of year, may it bring joy and happiness for the coming year. I'm your favourite cousin, Rosanna Deerchild, coming at you from Winnipeg in Treaty 1 Territory. And I was going to now, I go say. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.